Evening, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be listening to another episode of the Stickblade Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Linscott, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Nick LePage and Kevin Musto. Today on the schedule for today's show, we're going to be looking at the Stanley Cup Finals. Game 7 literally just wrapped an hour ago. We're going to be talking about Game 7, Game 6, and Game 5. Talking about the Conn Smythe winner, Mr. O'Reilly, who we thought Nova players were. And then on the trade front, and then free agency, team rumors front, we have a couple of topics we're going to discuss as well. With that being said, let's go ahead and just jump into Game 7 of the Finals. St. Louis took the game over Boston, Game 7, winning the first Stanley Cup over the course, I believe it's 50 seasons. Um, I personally thought that St. Louis put on a show. They had a pretty weak first period, but scored two goals on four shots. And then after that, they just sort of took off with, took off with the lead, and Boston just sort of fell apart after that. I mean, Kevin, Nick, what do you guys sort of have is just like raw reactions of the game. I would have been all right if an asteroid came and destroyed Earth before the game <laughs> If I would have known the outcome, I would have been all right with, you know, just the end of human life. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, Boston just looked flat from the, besides the first period where they just dominated. And once it was soul-crushing, basically, they went to the locker room, played their best period, maybe in the series, and they had to show – a two game, a two goal trail to the Blues, and they just they were crushed from that moment on. For me, I just think what an anticlimactic game seven. Like regardless of the outcome, I don't think it was that fun of a game to watch. It was just so one sided. I think the weird thing for me was, like you guys, like you're just saying. I mean, Boston they put out an amazing first period. I, I think it was fourteen to four for just the shots, and it wasn't even just shots they dominated. Just offensively, they seemed like. To always have the puck in St. Louis's zone. And then Tukarask led in the two shots. Then after that, they just, it's like you're saying, they just fell flat. They just didn't really generate anything for the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, Boston came out like kind of guns blazing. And I was like, whoa, Boston's here to win. And they're coming out real strong. I think they held, in that first period, they held St. Louis shotless for like 15 minutes. And they were just all over their zone. But uh, they just, could not keep that up. Uh, yeah, Jordan Bennington, too. He was just unbelievable. I mean, you see all the A-plus scoring chances. Uh, Boston got put together, and Bennington just denied them all. I mean, Charlie McAvoy almost went Bobby Orr 2.0 on, when he drove the net. <laughs> yeah. That would have been that would have been sensational if you put it in. But Bennington denied Nordstrom in the crease, and he was just unreal. You can't take a, It was a fun game, I believe. But Bennington just made it seem boring just because Boston couldn't get anything going against him. Sliding save that he had, that was just an absolute steal. He caught the first one. It rebounded. I can't remember who it rebounded to. Then the guy shot it, and he slid right through it again. I think for me, once I saw that save, I'm like, all right, Bennington's here for the real deal. He just looked so poised. Like, nothing was bothering him. It was the biggest game of his career, even in the handshake line. It looked like he just won another game, like another regular season game. Bennington just won. But no, it was a game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals, the biggest game of his career, and he was as calm as could be. And that's, why, that's why the Blues won. Yeah, it's, uh, it's too bad they do the Calder voting before the playoffs because had they done the Calder voting after the playoffs, I think Bennington would have won. Without a doubt. That's got to be a really interesting scenario to be in as a goaltender your rookie year you come in and you essentially carry a team to the finals i mean 
not very many rookies have that chance, especially as goaltenders. I mean, it's like you guys are saying, he, he didn't even look shaken at all when he got scored on. He just said, okay, I'm going to rush it off and just came right back. Where's the top that, line? That The top line. I mean, all night they they were they looked like nothing was going. Brad Marchand on the goal by Pietrangelo. He just he looked like you half-assed it. He, he looked like he was saving energy for game. Like if there was a game eight, Brad Marchand was trying to save energy. And there was – yeah. He had no will. He had no will to be out there tonight, and it, it just caught – the top The top line needs to perform in games like this, and they weren't there. Yeah, I all mean, Pasternak, he was just kind of whiffing on all those one-timers, all those shots. It was, it, was, it, was goal, it was something they would have buried if it was a regular season game against Toronto Maple Leafs. They would have dominated them. But they were missing wide-open shots. Pasternak had two one-timers within maybe 10 seconds of each other. And he just fanned on him or shot him wide or shot him right up Bennington's chest. And it's something you would expect Boston to just have precise and they weren't, it wasn't working for them tonight. No, it, re- it really just felt like they were caving under the pressure. Uh, he mentioned Brad Marchand. Did you guys see that horrible line change that he had in the first that actually led to a goal? Mm-hmm. I think that was the second goal, right? Yeah, that sure was the second goal. He was like, he skated off slowly, like there was nothing going on. It was ridiculous. Oh, it just, it seemed like something wasn't right with Boston after that first goal was scored on them. Like, they they should have, in my opinion, had that first period. If nothing else, they should have at least scored one. But to see them get bricked on 14 and then St. Louis get two out of four, I mean, that's that's got to be quite the morale killer. And I think that just sort of stuck with them the whole game. Yeah, the whole, I mean... Like, like I, I think I previously said it. You go in the locker room, you be, you're, you're like, what can I do? What can we do better? We dominated the first period, and we're trailing two nothing. What, what else could we have done to play that team better in the first period? And they couldn't have done anything better. It's just Tuukka Rask. I mean, it wasn't his fault that Ryan O'Reilly had a nice deflection, and Brad Marchand obviously the bad line change. But four, two goals on four shots is just you can't have that in a game like the, with a game with this circumstance. Of the uh, the two goals on on four, the f- the first one I believe that was uh, the through the legs one right on Atuka uh, where they went five hole on him and they got the deflection. It. Yeah, yeah, O'Reilly deflected it. One was a pretty nice one, but the other one I just I didn't even really see it coming. It just sort of came out of nowhere. Boston, it's like you guys said, they dominated at first, but after they gave up those two goals, they seemed to just turn it over all for the rest of the game. I mean, I think they had twelve turnovers. After yeah, it was period. like their confidence was just completely shot. It wasn't the Boston Bruins out there tonight. It no, it was not. That that wasn't the Boston Bruins, and you were mentioning it earlier, but that top line of theirs, I mean, it just sort of disappeared. I mean, you can't, when you're in game seven of the finals, you can't just have your top line just disappear like that, which, I mean, realistically, it seemed like they were invisible tonight. I, I feel like it's been like that for most of the playoffs. They, they'll have big games, like game six, they had a big game. But then there's throughout most of the series they were shut down by the Blues defense, and you you can't have that in the Stanley Cup final. Your best players need to perform the best. They you, you need if you're gonna win the Stanley Cup, your best players need to perform like best players. And if your bottom six is carrying you and keeping you in a game, it's not gonna last. You need your star players to perform like stars, and it just didn't happen for most of the series. Bergeron, I mean, he's known for kind of anchoring that first line. I mean, he's the go-to guy for that. That line, even he, I mean, he's always known as, you know, the defensively minded, like gifted guy. But Yeah, he's Mr. Selkie. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you have, three Selkies or something like that? I think so. And even he was, seemed like invisible. I mean, 
oftentimes they'll say, you know, it's better for a player to be invisible than to be noticed being bad. But you have a top line that's invisible like that. You have no chance of winning that game. St. Louis, I don't want to say they were bad, but their top line was not amazing tonight, but yet they were just good enough. Tarasenko had a couple of great shots. O'Reilly had a couple of good shots. That pass yeah. by Tarasenko was in that third period was unreal. The way he looked over his shoulder to see what he had available to him before he even got the puck and seen Braden Shen in the slot. And it was a dime of a pass. Led to basically a gut-wrenching goal and the dagger to the Bruins. And Tarasenko, he, it all goes back to playing like a star player. And Tarasenko obviously did that tonight. Boston, uh, they had a lot of publicity seemed like going around, at least with their uh, their fan base and their team around guys like Zidane Ochara, you know, trying to make one more cup happen underneath their watch. Even their their defense didn't really seem to show up all that much tonight. I mean, it seemed like they played a very much offensive-based game. Their defense didn't really seem yeah. like they were trying to play that well either, man. I watched St. Louis just skate around them in their own zone. I mean, they just were constantly cycling the puck around. Yeah, Boston I mean, couldn't really catch them. In that first period, I really liked Tori Krug. There were like instances where he was just really holding the line uh, offensively. But uh, I mean, aside from that, there just weren't a lot of um, bright moments for Boston's defense. I mentioned it earlier, but I mean, 12 giveaways. When you have that many, I mean, your defense has to be playing pretty well if you're going to be giving away 12, 12 chances potentially to the other team. And one of you guys said it earlier. I mean, they didn't really even look like the Boston Bruins tonight that came out on the ice. It looked like something else. Yeah, they just looked like a different team. They didn't play their game. The first period they did, and then going to the locker, I know it's repetitive, but that killed them. Going down 2-0, especially the end of the period goal, that always kills teams, but especially in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, that's going to bring you down. That's going to bring the locker room down. It seemed like the end of the world, and they just couldn't bounce back from that goal that first period after everything they went through. So it, it it sucks. They play their best through that first period, but in the end they have nothing to show for it, and they're, they're fans, they're, they're going to go home sad tonight. It is really surprising. I just, I was expecting it to end up being a close game. No matter who the winner was, I thought it was going to be a close game. I thought it was going to be blow for blow because that's what you expect out of a game seven in the Stanley Cup final, and it just wasn't that. Yeah, I, I was predicting, I was texting with some buddies, and it was basically all over Twitter, everybody was predicting overtime. I thought it was going to be like a 2-1 to one game and Bennington Rats just going toe-to-toe, but <laughs> Bennington was the one to perform Rask. He, he had some saves, but it wasn't what I thought. I thought overtime was basically a lock, the way these two teams play physically, and they're basically match for match, and I was disappointed. I, I, yeah. was, I was hoping for a close game, and we didn't really get it. We can move on from Game 7, but I think we can all really agree. I mean, pretty anticlimactic final Game 7 for the series. I mean, I think we all expected Boston to, to potentially win this. I mean, we were all talking about at the beginning of the series, expected. I think everyone expected Boston to win this series. Mm-hmm. They're just falling flat like that, Game 7. I think we all expected a little bit different. But, I mean, moving on to a good performance from Boston, let's go ahead and talk about Game 6 for a minute. Uh, Boston ended up winning that one pretty pretty handedly. I believe the end score was either what was it five one. I mean that's that's the team that they needed to show up in Game Seven. Yeah, offense seemed to be clicking for them that game. The defense was contributing. I mean, 
Bennington wasn't bad that game, but I mean that was the real Boston Bruins playing. Yeah, that was uh that their top line showed up that night. It, it, it's all gonna go back to this, but their top line showed up that night in Game Six. I think Pasternak had three points. Krug, I think, had three himself, and and then that uh they, their power play was working, which they couldn't get going tonight. So it was a completely different team we seen on Sunday to tonight. But Boston obviously dominated Game Six from the start. So Game Six, Boston, they brought out the big guns and they worked. And you would expect after a game like that that you know they take momentum back, which they seemed like they did. But Game Six, I thought would have been like the turning point for them. I mean, they went down to be, or Game Five, they went down three two, and after a showing like that, you would expect momentum, but they just didn't carry it through for whatever reason. Yeah, not only, I mean, just momentum from game six and then also just being at home in Boston, I just really thought that they would have had it, but it didn't yeah. go their way. Home ice advantage clearly wasn't a factor in this series at all. No. Game six, I thought, like, if there was ever a game that Boston was going to corral back from uh, from the series four, I thought this that would have been the game, but it just didn't happen for them. I mean... You said Tory Krug had a three-point game. I mean, that's that's the sort of production that you need from your defensemen, from your top-line guys. I mean, watch your team not have that. I mean, you get a result like you got tonight. St. Louis had one goal in uh, Game 5, I believe it was, correct? Yes. Or Game 6, I mean, sorry. misspoke. Yes, one goal in Game, or game 6, yes, one goal. And Game really? 5, two goals. Yeah, game 5, actually, they had a, uh, a really nice goal. There was the uh, between-the-legs pass. From behind Boston's net, uh, I believe it was O'Reilly right out front, just was ready, waiting for the, uh, the pass between the legs, gave it right to him, blasted that nice shot behind Rask. Did you guys get to see that goal at all? Yeah, I was uh, I was actually at the bar watching the game, so I didn't. I was kind of watching here and there. I didn't really get to watch it in depth like I would want to. So I seen, I've seen, I seen the replay of the goal. It was, it was beautiful. It was a nice pass. Ryan O'Reilly always in the right spot. Um, and then if we're going to talk about goals. Game five, there's the most controversial goal probably yeah. in in the world. In, the, <laughs> in the, the most controversial goal I've ever seen, which that could go back. That could be the reason why Boston lost this series. Kevin, if you want to start it off with that goal. Yeah, I mean, controversial for good reason. There was what was a pretty blatant tripping from behind, um, and it did not get called, and immediately... St. Louis scored right after, and that was definitely a turning point in not only that game, but just the series as a whole. That's why Boston came out strong game six. They have something to prove because of that call, that non-call, I should say. But yeah, that goal, I I, I was up in arms. Like I said, I was at the up in arms, and I was just screaming, and everybody, everybody looking at me like I'm a lunatic. <laughs> I was just screaming at the TV at some dumpy bar in yeah. the suburbs of Chicago, and I, I was freaking out because that that was a clear trip. There's no explanation why it wasn't called, and it's still frustrating to this day. Yeah, I was very unhappy when that all unfolded. Jordan, what'd you think? I mean, as much as uh, as much as I wanted the Blues to win, which I know would be sacrilege for you guys to say, but I really <laughs> wanted Boston to lose. But even as somebody who doesn't really like Boston, I can see that that should have been a call. Absolutely, there's no real question about it. I mean. It was right there. It happened right in front of the referee. I mean, as it's a just ref, inex- how do you even miss that? I mean, it literally happened right in front of you. It's inexplainable. Even 
like the NHL Twitter account, they would show the goal and they cropped it just enough, the video just enough to show there wasn't a trip because they know they have to dodge a bullet. <laughs> That's the topic of discussion. And there needs to be replay, replays on penalties, I think, going forward. Just at, based off that one, there's so many. It's not, it, it was in this big of a circumstance, but it happens all the time. There's always penalties that lead to goals. It's just, in this circumstance, it is widely seen by everyone. So I think going forward, there needs to be some rule changes because that changed the series, I think. Of uh, rule changes, I saw a really interesting discussion online, and I kind of want your guys' opinion on it. How, like, obviously, as of, like, right now, teams get the coach's challenge or the timeout every game, and we all understand how that works. But how would you feel if, in addition to that, every team was allotted either a penalty challenge or an offside slash icing challenge every game? Where if you thought something was, should have been a penalty, directed that, like if something happens and it leads to a goal, you can call that is it like a penalty uh, a penalty review? I guess is what people are calling it. Or if you believe an icing that resulted in a face off that resulted in a goal shouldn't have been an ice and you could challenge that as well how would you guys feel about something like that existing kevin you can start uh i mean i think there's a lot to unpack there i don't know i do i i'm of the mindset that things do need to change uh i think this season in particular we've seen a lot of issues with calls um so things do need to change i'm not i don't think uh i'm one to really chime in on this topic i don't think uh um you know, I would be comfortable, you know, making uh, a call on what they should fix and, and what they shouldn't touch. But uh, I do agree that something does need to change. Yeah, there needs, I mean, maybe not in complexity, maybe more co- coaches challenges. Like the NFL kind of has it right with if you get two of them correct, you get a third one. So I, I think there just needs to be more. Like you can't just have one challenge a game because there's going to be another missed call. There's the referees aren't perfect, clearly, but there's just so many opportunities. Like the hand pass in the Western Conference Final, there's stuff like that right. that just needs to be able to be reviewed. And I think the other thing too that is not helpful is the fact that if a coach's challenge fails, the team gets penalized. They're basically scared to challenge. Yeah, and. I get the reason why that's in place. They want to deter teams from, you know, not challenging for no reason. But yeah, as you said, it makes teams afraid to challenge because, you know, even if they firmly believe that they're right and the ruling states that they're not, then they get screwed over. And it's something that could just change the game drastically. Like a power play could completely change the game if they score. So I think the penalization is kind of... If yeah, I understand why they do it, it's a pace of play thing. They don't want to stop a game just to challenge something that might not even matter. And so, yeah, it, they're going to get penalized for it, but I don't, I don't really agree with the rule. Do you feel instead of having the penalize, uh, penalization, you mentioned earlier, you know, the if you get two, you get a third. How would you feel instead of directly getting the penalty? If you, let's say you got two wrong and you go for the third, you get the third wrong, then that results in the penalty. That way, coaches can still use the challenge. It slows down the game a little bit, but not to the point where every other play is getting challenged. But it still allows that window for missed calls to get called. Yeah, I could agree with that a little more. Just because it gives the coaches, like you said, the ability to actually not be afraid to use those challenges. And like they have them for a reason. Use them if 
if you think something's wrong, use that challenge and get the right call. But it all goes back. I I agree that maybe if they get multiple challenges wrong, then yeah, enforce a penalty. Yeah, I think you could do it at two. Like if you get two challenges wrong, you could penalize a team. But, you know, penalizing them for one failed challenge, I think it's a bit absurd. You're, you're mentioning uh, penalizing, Kevin. How would you feel instead, maybe if they even made it so you could do one challenge and one timeout before you got the penalized? That way, if you still want the, uh, the timeout to regroup as a team, you can do that. You still get your challenge as well. And then the second challenge you fail would result. That way, you're not, as a coach, having to choose between either I'm going to stop the game at some point or I'm going to challenge at some point. You still get both options. You're not penalized for using either option immediately. Yeah, maybe that could be uh, a way to uh, resolve that issue. I think regardless, we're going to see some kind of rule change. The NHL always has meetings for a rule change. I think this offseason we'll see a big one. I'm hoping because we can't see more stuff like that yet. I mean, social media was freaking out over the two non-calls, in a, both in the Western Conference Final and obviously the Stanley Cup Final. So there's going to be a rule change, I believe, soon. and. Hopefully they they could correct could correct some of their non calls. Well, I mean that kind of wraps up the discussion on uh, game five and six. I think. Do you guys have anything else to add at all before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, St. Louis, whatever you guys won, I don't care. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I yeah. I mean, I really I. I don't know. There's there is one cool stat that Rich Eisen did tweet out though. So I guess this is gonna be the nicest thing I'll ever say about St. Louis. Uh, it, he said, "What a decade for starving hockey fans in 2010, the Blackhawks' first cup in 49 years, Bruins' first cup in 39 years in 2011, 2012, Kings' first cup ever, 44 year wait, last year, Caps' first cup ever, 43 year wait, and then this year, Blues' first cup ever, 51 year wait." So, St. Louis fans, congrats on making a cool tweet. That's all I'm going to say about you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we can attribute that to the uh, salary cap doing its work. You uh, just have a lot more parity in the league, and you don't have, uh, you know, the teams with the money uh, winning all the time. Much as I, I hate how the cap breaks up teams that have drafted well and drafted, you know, star players, I do have to admit it's done a great job of creating parity in the league, so... As much as people hate on him, I have to give Bettman credit for that. So good on him. Yeah, it makes fun. It makes hockey fun. You get to see new teams in the playoffs every year. I mean, if there's teams like the Blackhawks or the Kings or the Bruins that you see always in the playoffs, that's just great managing. Um, so if you can find a way to be flexible with your cap and somehow make it work, then it's awesome, but I think the cap is there. Is it, it serves its purpose, and it's to get teams maybe in a smaller market have the ability to win. And I, I think it's a as much as I it costs the Hawks the last few years. <laughs> I think I think it's good to be in place. Yeah, good job this year. And I mean, we saw it. St. Louis, not you know the biggest hockey market in the world, but I mean they went out and they won their cups. So good on them. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I good think have the uh, fans, if nothing else, good yeah. fans. I think the best way to uh, wrap up the Stanley Cup final discussion is to talk about the Conn Smythe winner. So Conn Smythe, uh, O'Reilly winning the Conn Smythe. Um, We'll take turns discussing this. Uh, Nick, in your opinion, did you think O'Reilly deserved the Conn Smythe or did you think a different player deserved it? Without a doubt, 
Ryan O'Reilly deserved to count Smythe. You see, he had four goal. He had in the past four games he scored each in each game. So he was the best player without a doubt in the Stanley Cup final. And then he's played what he played well throughout the whole playoffs as well. The only person I even put him up against, besides Tuka Rask at Boston, won the cup. I think I thought Jaden Schwartz had an amazing playoffs. He had like fourteen goals, I believe. He kind of slowed down in the Stanley Cup final. So I do believe the right call was made with Ryan O'Reilly. So uh, congrats to Ryan O'Reilly. He's a great hockey player. That trade was an awesome trade for the St. Louis Blues. I, 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 I would want someone like Ryan O'Reilly on the Hawks. So he's, he's a great all-around player. He kills penalties on the power play. He's great five-on-five. Five. So without a doubt, Ryan O'Reilly deserved the Conn Smythe. Yeah, before I get into uh, my, uh, my pick for Conn Smythe, uh, you mentioned that, that Ryan O'Reilly trade. What a trade that was. I mean, St. Louis really made out like bandits there. I don't know what Buffalo was thinking. I don't believe the term is bandits. I believe the term is, uh, I, there's got to be something better than bandits, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that has got to be one of the best deals in recent history for a trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Buffalo thought they were getting something special. Uh, they got a, fir- a 2019 first. 2021 second so and then tage thompson Sabaka, and berglund but still ron o'reilly it was obviously the best player in the deal and at that same that same day they acquired tyler bozak so st louis was building something and they stole ron o'reilly from the buffalo Sabres. so yeah that trade it, it was one side without a doubt yeah i mean st louis at the end of the day kind of just traded away nothing and in return, they got their Con Smythe winner, who uh, helped bring them the cup. A star NHL player in return for some minor assets. Yeah. Uh, but to continue with the uh, Con Smythe discussion, um, I think Ryan O'Reilly was definitely a really good choice for the Con Smythe. However, I do Ooh. think uh, Jordan, Jordan Bennington was right there in the discussion uh, and definitely made a good case as to why he... Uh, would have been uh, a good option for winning the Conn Smythe. Yeah, Bennington's always a goalie is always in consideration, especially the way Bennington has played. Uh, he was kind of hit or miss in the earlier series, but if we were going off recency bias, Jordan Bennington would have won it without a doubt. So yeah, Bennington would have. I I had him. I think at third, if St. Louis would have won, I had O'Reilly, uh, then Jane Schwartz and. Bennington, but I can see why Bennington's in your consideration. He played unreal, so I don't blame you for having him up there, having him up there with Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, I just think like Bennington is such a huge part of the Blues' success. I mean, if the Blues were a team, if Jake Allen was their starter, they're not even sniffing the cup. They're not even in the playoffs. No. <laughs> Speaking of Allen, I mean... After his playoff success, Jordan Bennington, I think he's you know pretty much stolen the reins as starter there. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be crazy for him as a rookie coming in and stealing the starter reins and almost carrying a team all the way to the cup. I mean, you don't see that sort of thing happen very often, especially yeah, I mean, in today's NHL happen, where boys uh, take several years. Yeah, we kind of saw it happen with uh, Matt Murray in, in Pittsburgh taking over uh, Flurry's spot. Um. But other than that example, I can't really think of uh, another. It doesn't really happen that often. Uh, 
the only one I could think of was Anti Niami over Cristobal Huey in 20, 2009, 2010. But yeah, Cristobal right. Huey wasn't like a stud. So, but yeah, you have to look a far, a far ways away to find something like what Jordan Bennington did this season, besides Matt Murray, obviously. Right. But Jordan Bennington had quite the uh, adventure. He kind of came out of no. I, I'm not going to lie, before the season started, I had no idea who this guy was. I'd never heard of him, yeah. I'd never I mean, heard of him either. He played for the Chicago Wolves in 2013, and then he went to the ECHL with the Kalamazoo Wings and then the Wolves. He had a one-game stint with the Blues in 2015, then played for the Chicago Wolves again for the most of that season. 2016, the Wolves. 2017, he played for the Providence Bruins on a loan. And he started out this year with the San Antonio Rampage and then finally got the call up to the Blues. So he was like a journeyman basically throughout the minor league, the minors. Yeah. So it, he had, he's quite the story. And I think he's going to be a great goalie for a long time if he keeps that composure that he has, and which is important, obviously, to be a goaltender in the NHL. The interesting thing is Jake Allen still has another two years left on his deal. Do they keep Allen around as a backup and just kind of wait out those two years or do they try to move him i can't imagine he has much value personally think that st louis needs to keep allen either a just because there as much as you know you'd hate to think it there is the chance that bennington slides back a little bit i mean he obviously showed these playoffs that he has the potential to be a, a starter absolutely when he's on his game and let's say he does regress a little bit allen is I don't want to say the best starter, but I mean he's he's a competent starter to have. I mean he sort of can be that guy while Bennington cleans his game up if he starts to slide back into either bad habits or just mentally doesn't have what it takes to make the jump to full time starter. I mean we see that happen with teams fairly often where a kid will be hot for you know a couple games or even for like a stretch of time. And then they'll have a stretch of bad games, and they have a hard time recovering. And I think Allen would provide them a competent starter in the event something like that happens. Yeah, basically like veteran gamemanship, just kind of like be there for your that young goalie. So I, I agree. I mean, he does have two years, and his salary is kind of high. But if it means Bennington's right mentally, and he's your guy going forward, and Allen's his right-hand man to help him through it all. I can see why they keep him. You see, like, what Philadelphia Flyers are doing. They're bringing in veteran just for like, Carter Hart to learn from. So I can see Jake Allen being that guy, an expensive guy, but he could be that guy. We were just talking about the con Smythe. Um, I personally was under the impression that I thought Bennington probably had a pretty good case for it. I mean, his saves... I don't think any of us really have to talk about it. I mean, he had some absolute highlight reel saves against the Bruins. I mean, especially for being a rookie. I mean, that doesn't really factor in being whether you're a veteran or not for the Smythe, But just, I think being a rookie on top of his play definitely should have put him in the discussion. Um, we already talked about him, though. So I think the other player who I would put into the discussion for a Smythe would probably be... Uh, Petrangelo, I thought he actually had a decent playoff. I thought he made some decent plays when plays had to be made, and I didn't really see any, I guess, any holes in his game when he was playing. Yeah, Petrangelo's always been a solid D-man. He, he's one of those guys, he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Obviously, tonight he showed it with 14 seconds left. He was there to bury a goal at the end of the period in the first. But I thought he had a solid 
I thought he had a solid all-around postseason as well. I mean, the Blues defense is just stacked. I, I think Colton Pareko is also a solid. I mean, I, not yeah. in my consideration, but if I had to build an NHL defenseman, I think it might just turn out to be Colton Pareko because he's just a beast on the ice. But Alex Dutrange, I could see why you have him in consideration for Smythe as well. Anyway, anyway O'Reilly uh, ended up taking home the Smythe. Um, aside from that, I don't believe there's anything else to talk about for uh, the Cup Finals. Is there anything that you guys can think of off the top of your head that we didn't really cover between the last uh, episode? The quicker we could get off talking about the Blues doing something good, I think the better. <laughs> I know Sounds it's good an, to me. I know it's an NHL podcast, but oh god, I I kind of want to throw off talking about St. Louis so much. Don't worry, I'm right there with you. <laughs> See, I don't mind doing it because as a Detroit fan, it absolutely brought tears of joy to my eyes watching Boston get crushed in the finals. I don't like Boston either. I just definitely dislike the Blues more. Yep, that's exactly how I feel. This could have been, this was probably the worst possible outcome of a Stanley Cup final or just a Stanley Cup matchup for me. And yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, I wanted San Jose in the finals. Yeah, I mean that like it's cliche, but the enemy of your enemy is your friend. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's how I felt and. It sucks that this is how it ended, but St. Louis, you, I'm done with you. <laughs> I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but uh, last year I only caught one, a- one NHL game. It was Detroit versus uh, Washington. Washington ended up winning the cup. This year I only caught two NHL games. It was uh, Detroit and Pittsburgh and then Chicago and St. Louis when I took a trip down to Chicago. So in the past two years... I'm batting two for two for uh, seeing the Stanley Cup champion. So next in a game, year, so this year do. I'll let you guys know whoever I go see. That just way only watch Blackhawks games. Yeah, so only watch Blackhawks games. When the Blackhawks come to Detroit, that's going to be the only game you go to because clearly it's whoever won. put whoever. Yeah, please make it your only game. I will. <laughs> I, I will pay you to make it your only game you go to. We'll go ahead and move on from the uh, the Stanley Cup then. Um, speaking in team uh, of team rumors article came out this week that the Chicago Blackhawks are looking to draft a center this year in the draft. Um, Kevin or Nick, do any of you guys uh, read that article at all? Yeah. Uh, Alex Turcotte, he's been their guy they've been high on. It's, it seemed like it was always between Byram and Turcotte, and I'm indifferent about it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to hate the pick if, it, if they do go Turcotte. I could see why they like him. He models his game after Jonathan Taves. Who's a pretty good guy to model your game after, mm-hmm. um, but I just think I think at three you gotta take the best player available. And you see Turcotte, he's at ten on some people's mock drafts. So I know mock drafts don't mean anything, but I think Byram needs to be the pick. I'm not gonna be mad if it's Turcotte, but I guess we're putting our faith into Mark Kelly, the uh, amateur scout. So he's drafted well over the years. So if they go Turcotte, obviously they see something in him where they could he can make a difference. Yeah, I think uh, definitely some of the lists that have Turcotte going like 10 are definitely underrating him. Um, he is a really great player, and I think he is in that discussion for third, or, third overall. Uh, I do agree, though, that Bowen Byram uh, is the best player available uh, at third overall because, to me, he's just like a bona fide number one defenseman, and that's not the kind of player you can pass up. Uh, that being said, uh, if for whatever reason Chicago thinks of him more as like a number two defenseman, 
then yeah, I could see them going center. And then in that case, Alex Turcotte's probably their guy. I also think just me personally, I think Kirby Doc is also right up there with Alex Turcotte. Um, so I think Byram, Doc, Turcotte are all worthy picks at third overall. Trevor Zegers as well. I think he's in their consideration. I think he's probably in their top five. Um, but if they do go a center, whether it's Turcotte, Zegers, Kirby Doc, I think that's just management showing faith in what they've drafted over the past three years and that they could they could be a stud defensive team with the guys they've drafted. So I wouldn't look at it as a bad thing if they go a center. Obviously, they need set. You can never have too many centers on a team, but uh, I, it it will just show more faith in that defensive core that they started developing over these last three seasons. You mentioned Turcotte potentially going, you know, as low as tenth. That brought up another uh, discussion this week. Potentially, the Blackhawks, if they wanted to pick up Turcotte, and they don't think he's going to be there at third, or they don't think that he will go at third, they could trade back and potentially pick up extra assets. Now, this is obviously just something I saw on the wings right up, but how would you guys feel about a trade for either Detroit's first plus an asset or uh, who is it? LA? LA has a fifth pick, right? Yes. LA has a fifth overall and 22nd overall. Either Detroit or LA's pick? Because, I mean, I'm not very familiar with LA's prospect pool, but... Detroit is not very deep at defensemen, which if Byram is slated to go third overall, Detroit, I think, absolutely has interest in picking him up. Um, In the sixth spot, it looks like there are a lot of forwards, which Detroit has plenty of forward prospects. I mean, on top of that, their forward core is all young, so they're not going to be looking to pick up any high-end forwards, at least in my opinion. They're really looking for defensive pieces at this point. Um, So what I saw floating around on Reddit was somebody had proposed Chicago trading back to Detroit's slot at 6th, and then Detroit adds Tyler Bertuzzi and a second rounder in exchange. How would you guys feel about that? Because it seems like Bertuzzi could fill an interesting slot for you guys. He can play the boards, he can play a scoring game, he can play a grit game, and he can produce without those franchise or elite sentiment, which we saw that this year. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think uh, Bertuzzi would, I, I, like you said, he plays an interesting game. It really all depends on how they feel about these guys. Like Dominic Kubelik, where is he going to fit in? Where is Ant- Anton Whedon going to fit in? I, I I do like Tyler Bertuzzi's game and the few wings games I catch every season. I I wouldn't be opposed to it if they want to go Turcotte, they or at least a centerman. They need to. I think trading back would be smart. And if, if Detroit's that interested in Bowen Byram, then I could see them being a potential trade partner. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I just think Chicago is not going to move that pick. Um, I think they have to be, they have to be wowed. Yeah. Like if they basically, it just, it never happens. Uh, top five picks getting moved in the draft. It just very, very rarely happens. And so I think for Chicago to consider it, it would have to be an overpayment. And I don't know what team wants to overpay. I, I could see it. Maybe Colorado. I can see Colorado trying because Colorado needs to bulk up that defense. I mean, if we could get they got they acquired Shane Bowers, didn't they? In that Duchesne trade, yeah. 
uh, if they could include Shane Bowers for, I mean, I know Blackhawks want to kick it a little more. I could see Colorado being a trade partner, but it all include it, it. They have to be wild. It has to be something that they can't say no to. So I, I could see Detroit trying to make an offer. I could see Colorado trying to make an offer. But, yeah, uh, I think LA might be the more likely option. Like if they give up pick number five and pick number 22 to move up, I could see that being kind of enticing if Chicago is interested in drafting a center. The problem with uh, LA being a draft partner, though, would be, I mean, if if Byron really is slotted to go third, does Chicago, or not Chicago, does uh, LA need to trade for Chicago's pick? I mean, they've already got Dowdy as, as their guy on defense. I mean, yeah, you'd like to pick up a defenseman who could potentially slot in as a replacement when he starts to age, but in some ways, when I look at Bowen Byram's game, it, he reminds me of what Drew Doughty already is, so to me it just sort of seems like redundancy. Yeah, well, I mean, it it kind they kind of play similar. I mean, I've seen Byram being, obviously it's not Scott Niedermeyer, but I've seen him being compared to him. But you've seen the Sharks do it, going to get Eric Carlson, who him and Brett Burns play a similar game. But if it, you got to build a team through the back end, and then if Bowen Byron is that bona fide number one in the future, I think teams should do whatever it takes to try to snatch him. The other thing, too, is Dowdy is a right-handed defenseman. Byram's a left-handed. So you can put them together on your top pairing. And I think, if anything, they play a similar sort of game. So Dowdy's probably the best mentor for a guy like Bowen Byram. Yeah, the best mentor that could be a realistic option. But I think if you want Bowen Byram to develop the way he could be, you might as well learn from a future Hall of Fame defenseman. That was the main rumor that I saw floating around, um, at least in terms of like Hawks news. Um, in terms of the Wings uh, news, it, well, it seems like they're looking to potentially pick Pod Colson with their pick. There was a video that Wings Media released, I believe it was yesterday, where a lot of their anchors and their newscasters sort of did like a draft preview, so to speak. And it seems like Pod Colson was the person who most Wings, I don't want to say management because they're not management, but I guess their sports media seemed to think that Detroit was going to be taking. Um, Personally, I'm, I don't really understand why. Um, he, yeah, he's got you know the potential upside of already having a somewhat established game, and he's got time to develop his game over in the KHL. But it seems sort of like redundancy to me. I mean, they've already got plenty of forwards in their in their cabinet. Doesn't really make sense to add another one. But like you were saying earlier, I mean, you can never have too much talent. Um, but yeah, I, go ahead, finish your thought. I'm sorry. Oh, Erica, I was going to say, but I mean, it wouldn't hurt, I guess, to have a winger who could potentially be, you know, somebody like a Kucherov who had to, you know, spend a year overseas, or somebody like a Kuznetsov who didn't come straight to the NHL or go into the American system. But yet when they came over, they were good. Yeah, they, yeah, it's kind of a weird spot for Detroit. Like you said, they're built on the front end with forwards. So you, you would want a D-man which is why it makes sense if Detroit wants to either trade up to find a way to get Bowen Byram or, I mean, you could trade back to, I think it's going to be mostly forwards in the top 10. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's nine forwards and only Bowen Byram in the top 10. So if they want, they could either trade up or trade back to get like a Broberg or a Soderstrom. So I think uh, 
Pod Colson would be a smart pick if they're going to stick at six, but you never know. I mean, this, there's there's so much depth in this draft class. I don't think any one of the top ten is going to go wrong. Yeah, I think for me, like Pod Colson is a bit of a wild card in this draft. Like he, I mean, I've seen him drop on a lot of uh, rankings. Like some people have him like down in kind of like the mid-teens area. Um, so I just, I just don't know with him. I think there's just a lot of uncertainty with Pod Colson. He could be like Evander Kane, but he could also be more like Antoine, Antoine Roussel. Like, I just don't know if he is that top six forward or if he's more kind of like bottom six grinder type. Uh, I think there's it's risk reward with Bod Colson. There's a lot of options for, at, for the Red Wings at six with fours. I wouldn't be surprised if they take someone like Cole Caulfield, who's just driving up the draft boards. Yeah. The, the heights get. It's all. I mean, I feel like there's so much to be scared about this draft with Pat Colson having to stay in the KHL for the next two years. He said he's going to come to the NHL right when that contract's up. And then Cole Caulfield's obviously 5'7. So I, I, if Detroit at six, I think picking Pat Colson or Caulfield, depending on their patience, they can't go wrong. So. They're in an interesting spot. You should be excited as a Wings fan, though. This is, I know you were disappointed with where you guys ended up in the draft order, but you guys, you guys are gonna have fun on draft day. I think, yeah, Eiserman's gonna, he's gonna, he's he's up to something. He knows, he knows who to draft, and he knows what to build off of. So it's gonna be fun for you, Detroit fans. Well, he makes a good decision, like you said. I mean, he's he's built something good in Tampa, so I mean, he he's obviously got some idea of what he's doing. I would we'll move so. on though. Um, the rest of the league, do either you two have anything particular that you guys want to start off with? Yeah, like uh, trade rumors or free agency stuff? Trade rumors or free agencies, because there's already one that I want to talk about, but I'll let you guys start off first. How about you, Bray? Let's get this conversation started. Okay. Uh, so uh, Jeff Skinner signing a nine, I believe it's a $9 million average value contract. That one to me, I saw that and I just thought, oof, that's, that's a big gamble. Yeah, that was that was a uh, something I'll have to say. Uh, I don't think he's worth nine million dollars. But if Buffalo, but uh, I mean, obviously they want to keep him around. So uh, yeah, I just think it's too much money. That's gonna drive. I mean, I, that's gonna be the base of what all these high caliber free agents are looking for now. So Panarin, if if Jeff Skinner's making nine million, Panarin's gonna make. He, he should be making 12. Safe. If Jeff Skinner can command nine, then there's no way Panarin doesn't make 11, if not 12. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think Skinner is worth the nine million. The other thing is the term on that deal. It's eight years. Who knows how Skinner is going to be performing later down the line. Um, so I, I, I see what Buffalo is doing. I mean, He's a good goal scorer, and they wanted to keep that talent in Buffalo, but I think they definitely overpaid to do so. Yeah, Buffalo has all those young kids, too, with Reinhardt, Alex Nylander, and then Eichel's still young, uh, a little, and then I uh, can't think of his name, uh, Casey Middlestat. So yep, he, yep. he's, a, he's a veteran presence, so I could see, like you said, I could see why they keep him around, but $9 million just that's mind-boggling. That seems like a contract is, that will probably it'll probably bite them. I would say in about five years from now, I think that's when that contract is going to start biting them. I mean, it's not bad in the immediate, but when his yeah. production starts to slow down, I mean, people have, 
been saying, you know, he's a 40-goal scorer, but, I mean, at some point you have to wonder, is that production going to stay consistent? Because, I mean, some guys, they can have a great season, but their production just drops back down to 25 goals a season, which still is not bad, which on contracts, you you pay premiums for goals over assists, but the question is, does he maintain that 40-goal pace? And he won't. It, it, obviously, age is gonna age is gonna catch up to him. But if you're gonna, he's a he's a high talented, he's a very talented player, and he's one of those guys in the upper echelon, the NHL free agency pool. So you have to pay to keep him around. I could see why they did it. So uh, Buffalo, you got your guy for the next eight years. So hopefully, it doesn't bite you too hard. I'm mentioning, you know, uh, his contract being potentially, you know, some mentor guys. How much do you think that even just name recognition and keeping fans coming to games factors in? Because, I mean, we're not sitting there behind the closed doors that that are obviously closed when contract negotiations are going on, but I'd imagine that has to at least somewhat play a factor in a player's negotiations in terms of their value, just how much money they're going to bring the organization and tickets. I mean... A guy like Connor McDavid, for example, we all know he's a great player. We all know, you know, he's worth every penny they're paying on the ice. But for him, there's also a factor of just he brings guys to Edmonton to watch games. How much do you think Skinner affects her has an effect in Buffalo? It could. I mean, like you said, we don't know what the thought process is behind it, but it doesn't hurt. It helps more than hurt. So, like, if they, say if they let Jeff Skinner walk and they didn't really do anything this offseason – then yeah, it hurts them big time because fans are going to think their team is not going to be as great. They're not going to be as devoted to what this team could could have been. So Jeff Skinner, yeah, financially as it, as for like ticket sales and everything, jersey sales, merchandise, it it, it helps them. Yeah, I mean that's a decision that's going to be made by uh, like the owner. You know, that's not going to be like a GM decision. Like it's not the GM's job to worry too much about uh selling jerseys and that sort of thing but some teams yeah they're they are going to get that uh that pressure uh from the owner and that can certainly come into play when the gm is making those uh those negotiations well we'll go ahead and move on to other other rumors free agency signings I, uh, yeah i mean I there's quite Skinner. a bit floating around right now well you want to go ahead and start us off kevin what uh in particular would you like to talk about yeah, well, I think uh, the last episode we were talking a bit about Mitch Marner. Yep. And so the latest about Mitch Marner right now is that his camp is expecting at least one team is willing to offer him $12.5 million. Yeah, I've seen that floating around too, but it seems like Toronto is not going to let Mitch Marner go anywhere. I, I, At this point, I don't think he's going to go to any other team. I know there's going to be a team that will put that offer sheet out there, but the last few weeks I've seen Toronto try to move Marlou and Nikita's eye stab to get those contracts gone. So they're going to try to clear cash space to sign Marlou. It's just the matter of fact, can they clear it? Do these do other teams want to take a cap hit by acquiring some of these players? So it's going to be an interesting. I mean, I know Marlou is going to be the topic of discussion, like we said last week, all offseason. So we'll see what happens uh, by like July it, I say. I think that uh, he's finally the one who breaks the offer sheet trend. I, I hope mean, so. Yeah, it I hope seems so like his camp is very much willing to to shop elsewhere if it's not with Toronto. I mean, the closer it gets to to next season, the more pressure is getting put on 
the Leafs to get him signed. And every day that goes by, that's just one more day that he sees, okay, I don't have a contract next season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, the pressure is going to be on. The Leafs are the t- the clock is ticking on the Leafs now. This the season's ended. I think that they need to start pushing hard to get rid of some of these guys in order to keep Mitch Marner because you don't want to see a guy like him walk. I mean, you sure you're going to get four first round picks for him, and that's a phenomenal return. But those could turn into late picks, and they're not really going to mean anything in the future. So it really, uh, yeah, the clock is ticking. The Leafs need to get something done. Yeah, it's tough. As you said, Mitch Marner was a guy you cannot let walk, but if someone's willing to offer $12.5 million, that is not easy for Toronto to match with their current cap situation. Yeah, they want to get something done as fast as possible. They need to move salary like yesterday. Nick, you were mentioning uh, Zaitsev getting potentially moved. Um, I think that's actually a really interesting idea. If they move Zaitsev I'm curious, Nick and Kevin, where do you guys think he would go if he got moved? Because, I mean, it seems like things aren't working out for him the way that he wanted to in Toronto. And we've seen guys before who get moved, and a change of scenery does them a world of good. Yeah, I mean, what I've been seeing is that Vancouver is a team that has shown interest in Zaitsev. Um, but aside from that, I, uh, I haven't uh, seen anything in regard to other teams. Yeah, I've I've really only seen Vancouver. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure there's gonna the Leafs are talking to I would say multiple teams at this point about trying to take on that contract. But Vancouver is the one I'm seeing mostly recently. Very familiar with uh Vancouver's cap space. Do you know how tight to the cap they are at all? I don't. I think they have quite a bit of cap space. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think they they're lost uh... the Sedins, and they haven't really made any major signings since then that I can think of. They're a young team. A lot of guys on rookie contracts. I think they have a lot. I mean, I could look up the exact number. Yeah, it I, looks like their their projected space is thirty million, but I don't know who they have to sign. Thirty million is a decent chunk of change, though. I mean, you can you can afford some decent pieces with thirty million. Yeah, I mean that. I think uh, Vancouver is going to be one of those wild card teams. Yeah, it this, looks like Brock Besser is the only big uh, guy they need to re-sign this off season. And then everyone else won't really command that much. So Vancouver could be a wild card this offseason with some of these names. So I wouldn't be surprised if they you see him in the running for like Carlson or something along those lines. Maybe they won't. They might not get him, but they're going to be one of those teams that want to spend this money because they have this unbelievable youth talent on their roster, especially with Quinn Hughes up now too. Yeah. Say they'd have Hughes, they'd have Zaitsev, which I think that could be a potential pair if Zaitsev finds a way to turn it around there. I mean, I could definitely see Hughes being either a top pair or at least a top four guy, and I think Zaitsev, if if he turns things around, can be a top four guy as well, which, I mean, that helps Vancouver quite a bit, which I, I think Vancouver would probably be a smart move for him. Vancouver... They're not in conference, so I mean that doesn't really hurt them either. No, yeah, it, it, I don't think the Maple Leafs even care at this point about whether it's in conference or not. They wanna. It's all about bringing Mitch Marner back. So if they could get rid of anyone to clear cap space, they're gonna be willing to do it. We'll go ahead and move on. Uh, other major signings. Anybody have anything in particular they'd like to talk about as well, or other rumors? Yeah, we're. Uh, we might as well get this one out of the way. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Jake Gardner, 
Pierre Maguire said he would be shocked if Jake Gardner does not end up on the Chicago Blackhawks or the Minnesota Wild. And that makes me want to run a head through a wall. I do not <laughs> want to see Jake Gardner on, in an Indian sweater at all. We have Eric Gustafson. There's no need for Jake Gardner. He's not good. Keep him off the Hawks roster. Please, yeah, Stan. I mean, it's it's weird to see Jake Gardner linked to the Hawks. Like He's just not someone... I would have considered that they'd be looking at because as you said, they've got Eric Gustafson who plays that exact same style. They don't need another Eric Gustafson on the roster. So the only explanation to this for me is that they're planning to flip Eric Gustafson, maybe at the draft, like maybe they want to flip Gustafson for like a mid first round pick if possible and they're signing Gardner to replace that production. But that's the only thing I can kind of see uh, as their rationale. Yeah, that, Chicago did pick him up, though. I mean, do you really even need to take that sort of cap it on for, like you guys are just saying, a guy who is basically, for all intents and purposes, a clone of what you guys already have? No. And, yeah, I mean, it's weird because Jake Gardner is a guy who's probably going to command like $7 million Eric Gustafson has one more year in his contract. Even if you re-sign Gustafson, he's probably not going to be asking for $7 million. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, well, I hope not, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, yeah, $7 million is too much for a guy that's just basically a big play guy that also has a lot of risks to his game. I think if you need to, if you want to upgrade that defense, it's going to be through trade, which brings us to the next rumor that came out, which it's... He said they said it was discussed. Nothing happening yet. But the latest rumor is the Columbus Blue Jackets and Chicago Blackhawks are talking about Ryan Murray. That's something I could get behind. Yeah, me too. I think this is really interesting because leading up to the trade de- deadline, the Hawks and the Blue Jackets were scouting each other a lot, and so I was thinking that they were going to make a move at the deadline. Nothing happened though. I'm wondering if this was something that they were considering back then, and now that it's the offseason, they're kind of revisiting. But uh, Ryan Murray is definitely someone uh, that if I'm the Blackhawks, that's definitely a guy I'd like to have on the roster. I think I think he's the most capable of coming in and actually playing at a top-four level. Yeah, I mean, if you put him together with Murphy on the second pairing, I think that works out really well. It'd be interesting to see what it's really going to take to get Ryan Murray. I know... I wouldn't be surprised if Columbus wants to bring back Brandon Saad after losing Panarin. But, so it, I could see a Saad for Ryan Murray kind of deal. I know we talked about Saad being moved to Nicoletti last week. But a Saad for Ryan Murray kind of deal. Or, I don't know, maybe if Stan could get creative and find a package to include Anisim. I know Columbus is going to possibly need a center if Duchesne walks. Yep. So, so if, Stan could, if uh, Stan can include some kind of wild package that includes Anisimov, that would help because then you got Brandon Saad to move elsewhere or if you want to keep sod with DeBrinken and Strom it, it they have a they have a lot of options to move this offseason so it's gonna be interesting what Stan could do yeah I think if they could keep sod and get Murray just by moving Anisimov and picks that would be the best route to go I just don't know if uh, Columbus is up for that or not also one more uh not so much a rumor now but uh, I guess a killing of a rumor um, I guess Jim Rutherford officially said that uh, trading Phil Kessel is now not priority for them. So I guess those rumors are kind of swap or squashed about Kessel getting moved this offseason. So, so it looks like Pittsburgh's probably going to be holding on to him for a little bit. 
still blows my mind that he's being paid by the Leafs to not play for their team. <laughs> yeah, the Leafs didn't want him that bad. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because it really was looking like Kessel was a sure thing to get moved. And then I guess whatever trade talks they had uh, in the works just fell through, and now they've decided to keep him. The rumors have been squashed. I guess we can kind of talk about something. Um, if you were going, to, if you were in Jim Rutherford's position, and you were going to trade Kessel. Who would you try to trade him to? Uh, I've seen they they obviously wanted to do something with the Wild with Jason Zucker, but Kessel nixed that idea. He had Kessel. I, I I seen a report. Kessel knew absolutely nothing about the Minnesota Wild, and he actually had to do research. So. Kessel did not want to go to Minnesota. The I seen you. You go on Twitter and you type in Phil Kessel trade. Pittsburgh fans want to bring Brandon Saad aboard, but I don't. They're two completely different players. As a Hawks fan, I would not trade Brandon Saad for Phil Kessel. Neither would I. Just because Saad's more of a two-way player. So, uh, yeah, Zucker and uh, Saad were really the only names I would I seen Pittsburgh really wanting. So, though that's really it. That's really all I could think of. It's uh, as far as a trade for Kessel would. Pittsburgh could want yeah I don't really know too much about Pittsburgh's situation like I don't know what their needs are I have to imagine this is a big one for them they absolutely need defense that's what I'm thinking like I have to imagine like yeah I saw those Jason Zucker rumors but I think they should be focusing on their defense not looking to acquire another forward they have Chris Letang who when he's healthy you know he can be a top pair guy but I mean they don't really have the high-end pieces in the prospect pool coming up, which is going to leave them in a bit of a bind. Yeah. I mean, they have their I think it's situation your, figured out. Yeah, I think if you're moving Kessel, you want to move him for a young top-four defenseman. Maybe Ryan Murray. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that would be the kind of guy that if you're moving Kessel, that's who you should be looking at. Yeah, that's... Uh, a Brandon side trade, I believe it was. Right, Nick? Yes. I... Part of me, I think that trade could work for Pittsburgh. It gives them a two-way forward to essentially play with in the, like their middle six, because I think Saad could be like a good middle six two-way forward for them. The only thing is I don't think Chicago would want a player like Kessel who's starting to age. I don't think that really fits the direction that they need to start moving. I mean, Chicago started to embrace their rebuild a little bit, and they've started getting younger, but I don't think Kessel's the right move them i'm not sure how that yeah i think so i i agree with you i mean we got enough we got enough guys that kind of just play a one-way game dylan strong's yeah. work dylan strong's working on his defense which is great to see but to break it he's not known for being a defensive guy he's not too well, that's the player. thing is i think we kind of have our own kessel in to yes exactly so a bit of a size difference there but otherwise like those are guys that are known for their sniping Yes, I agree. So there's really, I could see why Pittsburgh would want to do the deal, but I just don't see it fitting for the Blackhawks just because they need more 200-foot players. Defense was a struggle last year. So yeah, we need Saad guys. is basically Chicago's only two-way winger. So we need, yeah, exactly. So we need guys like to play a 200-foot game. And so trading side would hurt the defense more than it already is struggling. So I just don't think that kind of deal would make sense. So... I would have to say no, without a doubt. Yeah, Chicago's a team that is still still hasn't recovered from Hosa leaving. That's a guy who's just, you know, one of the best two-way wingers to ever play the game. And 
him leaving, they Chicago still hasn't found a suitable replacement for him. Um, so they need to be looking to acquire more guys like Saad, not trading them out. Yes, which is why Ryan Dezingle, I think, should be the Hawks' the number one priority free agency was. That obviously is not the big ticket price. Kevin Hayes is up there too. You see, that's one rumor we actually didn't touch, or rumor we didn't touch on Philadelphia. Flyers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Philly got his rights for a fifth round pick. Yes, so I think Philly is obviously going to try to sign Kevin Hayes. I don't think he's going to sign there. I think he's still going to be a free agent. Hmm. So a guy like Kevin Hayes and Ryan Dezingle are the two guys that I think the Hawks should be most looking at this offseason. We'll move on. Um, Another rumor kill, I guess. Um, It's been confirmed that uh, Pavel Datsuk will not be coming back to Detroit. I mean, I don't know why this rumor seems to be floating around every year, whether he's coming back or not, but it was officially confirmed he's not coming back. Um, As much as I like the guy, I don't think he really would have a place in Detroit, and I'd rather not have the memories of him get ruined by a potential slowdown or somebody who doesn't produce the level he's expected to. So it's kind of nice to have those rumors squashed this this week, finally. Yeah, I think he officially re-signed in the KHL, right? He he did. He re-signed in the uh, KHL, so he's he's definitely not coming back. Yeah, I think it was like a two-year deal I saw. I I think that's a smart decision, too, because you don't want to backtrack embrace the rebuild in Detroit. You don't want to go sign a guy and you don't want to diminish his legacy like you said, Jordan. You he's you enjoy the memories that you had with Pavel Datsuk. Don't bring him back while he's 40 years old and you're expecting all these great things from him when you know you're not going to get him. So continue forward with acquiring these young guys. Don't worry about getting these old guys and just move on. You had Pavel Datsuk, you had a great run with him. So cherish those memories and enjoy them while you had them. Let bygones be bygones. Any other uh, major rumors that you guys want to touch, uh, touch on? I think the only other thing that I was seeing was I've seen Montreal linked to Shane Gostas Bear. Interesting choice. I actually like it. Yeah, I mean, Montreal, obviously, they've been looking for uh, that kind of left-handed defenseman to, to fill in their top four. So, yeah, Shane Gostas Bear could definitely be a good target for them. Uh, I just don't know what they're uh, willing to trade. I don't even know what they have to trade. Their farm system's not great either. So, but yeah, Gossespierre would be a great addition. Uh, he's one of those guys that had a down year, so you yeah. might be able to you might be able to get him for not as much as he would have typically ran for two years ago. So, if yeah, if you want to buy low on Shane Gossespierre, I think Montreal would be smart to do so. But I, I like you said, I don't know what they could include in a package to entice Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly not going to give away Nick Suzuki, who is their top prospect. Um, and maybe they give up, like, Ryan Paling for Gossespierre, but I don't know. I'd actually like to see Montreal just not give up any assets. I'd like to see them just strictly pick or strictly give up trade piece or trade assets. That's it. Just, uh, just draft picks. Just picks. Think, yeah, they could do that. I think they have a decent group and. Rather than trade away talent they have right now, I don't. I don't usually embrace the cup or bust movement unless your team is absolutely right there in it. But I think if they want to make a move while Carey Price is still in, for all intents and purposes, is his prime. I think that's absolutely something that if you're going to try to make it happen, try to ha- make it happen now. Yeah, make yeah. like a make a hockey player trade. Make a make a true hockey trade. You've seen it with the. Uh... Like last year was Galchenyuk and 
for Domi. And that was a great, it worked out great for Montreal. And, and Galchenyuk actually produced in Arizona too. So if you want to build, go get players. Don't, I, I, Montreal need, is in one of those weird situations where Carey Price is getting old and their team's on the brink. So they just need to go get players rather than trying to like build up their core or something like that. Yeah, and they could definitely take the route of just moving draft picks like Jordan suggested. They have their first-round pick and two second-round picks. So some combination of those will definitely land you Gostas Bear, I think. And if you did a first and a second, I think that could probably land him. I mean, yeah. Well, I think yeah. that's more than enough to land Gostas Bear. And I mean, Maybe I even point, the first alone could do it. Yeah, I mean, first... Round picks, especially ones in Montreal's position where it's not, we're not talking about like, you know, like pick 28 or anything. I mean, we're talking about a fairly early pick. It's 15. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not exactly a small piece to be giving away, especially, for example, in a draft, if they did for this year, a draft of this deep. I mean, that's not really a small piece to be giving away. No, yeah, this deep. Uh, there's players that with great talent at the mid, like mid 15 to 20. So, yeah, I mean, if Montreal is willing to go all in for a guy like Gossespierre, they should. They need to. They're in a win now mode. I know they didn't make the playoffs this year. So, Montreal, go out and get you guys. You you were a fun team when you're good. So, just yeah, try to go get Gossespierre. Remember last year they picked up a who who was it? Was it Kachuk? In the draft they got uh, Kokaniemi. Oh, Kokaniemi, yes. They have, uh, do they still have Kachuk? Montreal never, never got Kachuk. Uh, it was Ottawa that drafted Kachuk. Ottawa got him, okay. The Flames so I knew have, it was one of the Canadian teams who had who got him. I couldn't remember. The Flames have uh, Matthew. So, yeah, Matthew and Brady Kachuk are with Ottawa and Calgary. So I knew one of the Canadian teams drafted him. I couldn't remember which one it was, though. Yeah, that was the uh, fourth overall pick for Ottawa. And then before that, Montreal had the third overall pick. They took... Uh, about Kenny Emmy, um, who had a solid uh, rookie season. Do add his rookie season. Go ahead and move on, though. Any any more rumors or uh, trades that you guys want to talk about, or is that about it? I think that's about it for now, for me, on my part, at least. Yeah, I think that's Everything? all I've been seeing. Okay. Well, one last little uh, fun segment I want to try for this episode is uh, we'll we'll call this segment who are you picking up and let's say you could go back to a year that your team ended up winning the cup who do you look at on your roster and say the person that we picked up either before that year or after the year was the reason that your team won so if you guys can go ahead and pick whatever uh, cup that you guys want from chicago's wins but just pick a cup and then pick a player that they picked up and a lot of people thought it either was overpaid or just was a weird pickup, but it ended up doing you really well. All right. I'll, you want me to start, Kevin, or you want to start? Do you have one on your mind? Uh, I do have one on my mind. Uh, and that... I'll start, let you start it off then. Okay. Uh, well, I mentioned him a bit earlier, uh, and that is Marion Hosa uh, for that 2010 Cup. Uh, they picked him up uh, in free agency, and a lot of people thought that it's a bit of a weird move because Chicago already had a pretty good uh, forward group. So some people thought it was a little strange to add yet another forward. Uh, but obviously that worked out very well for them. And not just for the 2010 Cup, but also for the two uh, in 2013 
the two later that came in 2013 and 2015, uh, Marion Hosa was just such an integral part uh, to that team's success. Yeah, obviously a big one to name. Uh, I wasn't going to name Hosa, but obviously you he's the reason why you have three cups, so that's a great pick, of course. And then, uh, so with mine, my player, my player actually results in losing a player. So in 2015, Patrick Kane went down. And so the Hawks had a little more salary cap because he's on the re- injured reserve list. So my player is Antoine Vermette. Mm. We, gave, we gave up a lot for him. Uh, I think it was like a first-round pick. And I, I don't remember the exact trade, but Antoine Vermette, it cost a lot to go get him. But if you remember that Western Conference final, he had some clutch goals. He had yep. two game-winning goals in that series. And I think Vermette and the Hawks struggled at, at, at the center, center position that year. So Vermette was a big addition. And maybe without him, you don't have that 2015 Cup. Interesting choices. Um, my choice is, is kind of weird. Um, I actually like the pickup of Chris Chelios from uh, the Hawks. from the, uh, the 2002 Cup, I thought he was... Absolutely a huge part of that win for them. I mean, at the time when he got picked up, I believe he, they traded three first-rounders for him, which a lot of people didn't really understand, considering Detroit had some decent pieces on their blue line. I thought just his toughness, his grit, and just the way that he played, how smart he was with the shots, was vital for Detroit winning that cup that year. He wasn't a young guy when he got picked up either, which... A lot of people criticized the move for. I think without Chris Chalios in the lineup, Detroit doesn't win the cup that year. Yeah, I was a little, I was a little baby back then. But <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Chris Chalios, um, you know, he's one of those guys that he has a weird reputation in Chicago. That everybody calls he's because he said I think it was in the late nineties, never gonna play for Detroit. Like that's something he'll never do. And then obviously he went there. So. So he kind of, when he's at the United Center, he kind of gets weird. He gets a weird reaction. But uh, Chelios was an all-time defenseman, one of the best defensemen to ever play in the NHL. So without Chris Chelios, like you said, you probably don't have that 2002 Stanley Cup. Him and Lidstrom were amazing together. I mean, that has to be one of the all-time great pairings in NHL history. <laughs> without a doubt. No way. I, don't, I can't name even anything even close to that. I mean, Lidstrom and Chelios, I mean, those are just... Without a doubt, some of the best defensemen to ever play the game. All world defensemen on the same pair. All right, guys. Well, that's going to, I think, wrap up the episode for tonight. Um, if you enjoyed what you listened to, you can go ahead and uh, give us a follow on SoundCloud. You can find us at the Stickley Podcast. If you want to send us an email, you can shoot us an email at sound, or, sorry, at stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at StickBladePod. We always like to hear from you guys. If you have any questions or topics for discussion, we always like to hear those as well. Or even just fan questions, we like to read them. Um, with that being said, thank you guys for having having a good episode with me. I appreciate you guys joining me tonight. And to everybody who listened, go ahead and stay safe. And thank you for listening to another edition of the StickBlade Podcast.